Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. We are undergoing some exciting changes in my office. The recording of this podcast has been sharing the television studio we use for the Faith Alive series with Bishop Gaynor since its inception. And while it's been wonderful, it's time for a dedicated space just for recording. And I'm really excited to see the new recording studio taking shape right before my eyes. When I was a kid, we used to sing this song called He's Still Working on Me. The fact that I still remember this song word for word over 30 years later speaks to how much I loved it then. I even remember the hand gestures that went with it when we would perform it at school. I won't sing it for you, but the first verse repeats itself several times, and it's, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. As I'm looking at this room with metal studs and ripped out carpet, lights hanging from the ceiling, currently in the middle of construction, this song popped into my head. I think so often we're convinced that we're either perfect with no room for improving, or we're so broken, so damaged, that there's no coming back, no hope for restoration, when in reality, we are a walking, talking construction site. I'm a vastly different person on the inside and the outside than I was just five years ago. The Future Podcast Studio looked vastly different just last week. God loves us as we are, and too much to let us stay that way. Today, I'm super excited to be chatting with Father Dwight Schleilein from the Basilica of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in Hanover. If anyone knows about construction and restoration, it's him, because his 250-year-old church is currently undergoing an enormous restoration project, a true labor of love that both speaks to why we honor our history and the power of change. Father Dwight, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on Candid Catholic Convos. Welcome to our program. Would you mind telling me just a little bit about yourself? Okay, my name's... Father Dwight Schleyline, I was uh, born here in Hanover, where I live now. I grew up in East Berlin and um, went to Bermudian uh, Springs School. Let's see, I went to Bermudian from until eighth grade. And then I learned that there was such a thing as a Catholic school. So I asked if my, I started asking questions about is there such a thing as a Catholic school and found out about DeLone Catholic and I asked if I could go there. So I ended up going to DeLone Catholic for four years. That was my first time in Catholic school. And then um, had kind of a deeper conversion experience in while I was at DeLone 
Um, but it was more involved in my parish, actually, which is Immaculate Heart of Mary Parish in Abbottstown. I got involved in the charismatic prayer group there when I was a junior, had some powerful experiences with that, uh, got really into my faith, and eventually headed towards going to Franciscan University of Steubenville for college. So I went there for college, got a degree in classical languages and philosophy, um, kind of discerning what I wanted to do after that. I was still wrestling with the possibility of getting married, was even engaged at one point. But then after college, I uh, went, came back here, worked in a bank for a year and a half. Um, and then from there, I discerned uh, seminary, went into St. Vincent Seminary in La Trobe for four years. And then, no, I'm sorry, I went to St. Vincent's in La Trobe for one year. And then I was sent to Rome to study there for four years at the North American College. And I was ordained a priest in 2010 by Archbishop Brolio. We didn't have, we were between bishops at the time. We were between uh, Bishop Rhodes and Bishop McFadden. And so Archbishop Brolio ordained me a priest in Harrisburg. And then I was assigned to St. Patrick's Parish in Carlisle for four years. And then I spent uh, six years as pastor of Our Lady the Visitation Church in Shippensburg and campus minister at Shippensburg University. And then in 2020, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, I was assigned as pastor here in October of 2020 here at Sacred Heart. And I've been here for almost, well, two and a half years now. This is, gets me closer to home, actually, than I was in Shippensburg because my parents still live in East Berlin. And uh, yeah, so... It's coming here. There's a lot more family connections. So when I came here, my uh, people, parishioners here still remember my grandparents who used to be parishioners here back before 1967. Between 1950 and 1967, they were parishioners here uh, and they still remember them and they remember where they lived and they have all kinds of connections. So it's um, it's kind of fun being here because um, in some ways they kind of know who I am before I even got here so and they saw the last name it's a it's a unique and rare last name so it's like if you're a schley line you're related to me so but uh that's a little bit about me you and i are kind of like six degrees of separation almost because um i went to catholic school i went to st patrick's and carlisle actually from oh. well i was born in new jersey and started catholic school there and then when i was in fifth grade we transferred to st patrick's and carlisle and then my first foray to public school was high school. So it was kind of flipped, but that's so funny. And uh, I love what you said about uh, the family connections in church. I always feel like that's so powerful when like, it's just, you feel kind of plopped into this like already made family and they just kind of absorb you. I, I think that's one of the best feelings in the world. Yeah, it's been a great experience here. Um, there's so much, There's so much history in this parish it's Sacred Heart Parish here is the oldest church probably in the diocese it might might be competing with St. Mary's in Lancaster. I think that's pretty old too, or St. Joe's. One of those two is is around the same time. But um, this is really the mother church in a lot of ways of, I mean, it's, it's older than the cathedral, um, you know, by like a hundred years or something. Uh, the parish dates back to, it was officially established in 1741. Um, now, there was already Catholics and activity going on here, even in the 1720s and 30s, 
But uh, but back in that time, Hanover, which is like the biggest town here, was just uh, woods. Um, so just to think about the change, like how big Hanover is and it's growing. And um, this is older than that. Um, so, yeah, we have the perhaps the probably the first Catholics here were Native Americans. That's the theory anyway, because um, they were evangelized by the uh, the Jesuits who were up in the New York, Canada area, but also the Jesuits came in the 1600s for English Jesuits came to um, Southern Maryland. And uh, so there's a theory that it's possible St. Isaac Jobes possibly was in this area when he was an, a prisoner of the, I think the Hurons, it's either the Hurons or the Mohawks, um, but he was, eventually martyred. Uh, so it's possible that he was he was in this area as a captive because there would have been a lot of, they believe there was a lot of migration and moving around uh, for hunting and seasons and stuff like that. So um, that's kind of the beginnings of the Catholic presence in this area. And um, the, you have the, it was really the English Jesuits coming up from Southern Maryland who made, really started this parish. Um, in the 1740s, the first pastor was Father William Wappler, um, who I don't know too much about. I know there's a there's a street named after him. Um, but, you know, in that time period, the we were still a British colony and it was not easy to be Catholic back then. It wasn't really legal to even have a church, an actual church. They'd have what's called mass houses. So it's a house where they did mass, uh, just look like a house. and there was a log cabin here at one time, but it wasn't until after the revolution, American Revolution, that we were actually able to build a church. So the first actual church here is 1787. Uh, so that's right after the American Revolution. And the, you know, it's really the, um, when you walk into the church, that, that the first part that you're walking into is the 1787 church. And it's the 1787 church ended right before the transept so the church is in a t you know like a cross cruciform so the the crossbar part of it is from 1850 1850 um but everything before that is uh the 1787 church so yeah the, the parish grew at one time it was the biggest parish in the country and uh it really covered this parish covered uh, up to New York, the New York border down to Virginia. I mean, at one time it was like, it was a, it was like a Jesuit hub. Um, and all of the other parishes in this area were basically started as missions of Conewago. So they would, the Jesuits would live here and go and do mass, for example, in Abbottstown or in Gettysburg or in Buchanan Valley. And if you notice all these parishes, a lot of them have Jesuit saints as their names. Buchanan Valley is St. Ignatius, uh, St. Francis Xavier in Gettysburg, even Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Jesuits promoted that. So that's Abbottstown, uh, St. Aloysius in Littlestown. We have St. Joseph the Worker in Bonneville. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, it was really the Jesuits who evangelized this area. And um, so it grew 1850. That they needed to have a bigger church, so they added that front part. They basically had to build that. Originally, that was cemetery, 
So they had to build over top of the graves of some, probably some of the Jesuits, possibly the oldest graves. Some of the bones were moved to another part of the cemetery. I think some of them were not. And, um, but they built that part on in 1851. You know, the church was then consecrated on August 15th, 1851. And the reason August 15th was chosen is the original Kahnawaga Chapel was actually called the Chapel of the Assumption. It was in honor of Mary's Assumption. Um, it wasn't called Sacred Heart. Eventually, the Jesuits wanted to go with the Sacred Heart instead. So, um, so that's why it was consecrated on August 15th, 1851. Our goal for the current project that we have is to have it done by August 15th, and then Bishop is supposed to come for a 5 p.m. mass on August 15th for the uh, to bless the church again, um, because that's the original consecration date. So, so yeah, you have the uh, 1850 was 5051 was a huge time here uh, where they added on. Uh, thankfully, the camera was vetted invented in the 1830s. So we actually do have some photos from like the 1850s, 1860s, 1870s. The church, the front of the church changed drastically in 1887 because the original front of the church, the very, uh, what's that called? The apse that had a huge fresco of the Last Supper. So if you came into the church, see this huge image of the, of the Last Supper on the back wall, um, right behind the altar. And because it was on the wall, it got damaged by water. And so they, in the 1887, which would have been the centennial of the church, 100-year anniversary of the building of the church, they um, covered up the Last Supper with about, they put about three inches of plaster on top of it and, um, paint, you know, painted that decoratively. And then they put, they had a guy named Filippo Costagini make a huge painting of the apparition of the Sacred Heart to St. Margaret Mary with uh, a little image of her spiritual director, St. Claude de la Colombière, kind of hovering near the top. And that was put there, that was in 1887. So then they covered the Last Supper. When, interestingly, when we, we had that Last Supper painting uh, restored, um, let's see, my first year here, so about I guess it's almost two years ago now. And um, when we took down that painting, we didn't know what was going to be behind it. We didn't know what kind of condition that we, we knew the Last Supper was original, but we were able to see that that middle third of the Last Supper fresco for for it being 170 years old. It's in pretty good condition, but it is 170 years old. So it's uh, you can still make out Jesus and you can see like John beloved disciple. Um, I think you might be able to see one disciple on the other side, but um, it was incredible to see that. Um, the, the people were so excited when they saw that. Uh, so we don't really have any plans to fix it because we don't know how we would make that accessible to people. Um, although I have thought of an idea, but uh, it's going to cost a lot of money if we want to do that. But <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, th this is a place of uh, lots of hidden treasures this whole project that we're doing now, it's just we're finding that they're they're like removing the the painting, the paint over that happened in the 60s and the 80s. There was two times where they painted over a lot of stuff. And particularly in the 60s, they fundamentally altered some things, um, not drastically, but there was just some some beautiful art on the wall. Some some of it was 23 karat gold. 
that they just painted over in the 60s and um they're recovering it now they're 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 they have this and people always ask this question how do they take off some layers of paint without affecting the others it's a very scientific process that these people are very trained at doing um the one guy said you basically have to have a chemistry degree to know how to do it you, they they do some experiments and they they try it but they make sure that they, they they're only taking off the certain la layers of paint and not affecting the original so they've done a lot of that here and they're um they're recovering the original beauty of the artists the the 1850s artist in particular who is a guy named franz stecker um who actually died a young man he died in his 30s but um he did most of the 1850 part of the church and uh he was he was a master artist i mean what we're uncovering now he was he was incredible um incredibly beautiful incredibly theological uh a very strong emphasis on the love of god he really is really really strong emphasis on the love of the trinity the father son and holy spirit that emphasis of the sacred heart you know he's got three at least three images of the trinity in the in that crossbar part of the church the transepts and the the center part and he's got the father and the son and the spirit like close to each other like like their faces are like touching each other and then the spirit is kind of the dove is like between them so it's really really strong uh images of the love of god um the strongest i've ever seen really and um sometimes we can be critical of the last you know after vatican ii a lot of times priests all they talked about was love 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 and it's you know kind of that 60s hippie thing but um you know before that you know when the sacred heart devotion was all about the love of god and and you know this was in some ways ahead of its time showing the incredible love of god uh visually through art um yeah, Franz Stecker was huge on that. He was, and he was very, very talented. I do want to piggyback off of what you said about love. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, if if you've watched any amount of HGTV or, you know, seen anything online about, you know, home improvement projects or, you know, just restoration projects, it is, it is quite a labor of love. Um, I oh. for one love old houses. Like we just bought one that's over 122 years old and, mm -hmm your parish is like literally double the age of my house. And I'm already looking at my house going, oh my goodness. So this must be, this must be a monumental, not just a process, but, but a labor of love. So how, how long have we been restoring so far? And what is the projected, you said August 15th, is that this year? Is that the next coming years? Yeah. So that's this year. Um, so the little bit of the history of the actual project itself uh the way it all started was i when i first came here um i noticed a lot of the peeling on the walls a lot of cracks and a lot of just plaster peeling off and so i started asking questions well first of all i i knew that the last supper painting or the the sacred heart painting needed restored because the previous pastor actually already had a quote from that um so he said here this needs to be done and um here's a quote for it so i contacted i got that ball rolling 
um, right away, pretty much. Then the owner of that company, I asked him, uh, what do we do about the walls? And he's he kind of answered that question with another question. He said, well, what do you want to do? He says, he says I said, well, just fix it. <laughs> he's like, well, what do you mean? Because he said, so they had done all this research and they knew, because we have a lot of old photos, that there was a lot of art underneath there. And he's like, why don't you restore what's underneath? Which I didn't, I wasn't even aware of that at the time. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting idea. I didn't even think of that. So that kind of is where it all started. It got the ball rolling and I started asking questions. And eventually we put out, um, looked for bids. We got six companies that we looked at. And um, we ended up going with a company that is really the, um, how would you say it? I mean, this, the company that we went with is the, is the owner, the founder of that is the one who all the other companies learn from. Okay. So like, he's the top, his name's John Canning. He was an immigrant from Scotland. Um, and he is, this is, this is his very specific kind of, um, gift and charism like he does this kind of thing like restoring old art a church art so it's there's a there's an official position in going back in the middle ages called church decorator which is not somebody who just puts flowers out on the church a church decorator is a very was a very um it was like saying an engineer it was somebody who was very uh talented on the art of the church so that's the company we ended up going with uh, their price and what not just their price what we were mainly looking at is they actually were going to fix the cracking and the peeling that was the main thing we wanted we want us we want you to fix the cracks we don't want you to just paint over them and make them disappear and they're still there so they had a whole process which they told us this is how we'll fix them and uh, other companies will would say we don't know how to do it or um they didn't have they couldn't get the materials to do it for whatever reason but anyway this company actually is fixing the cracks so yeah they ultimately we went with this company it's called canning liturgical arts uh john canning was a founder and then um they we officially started on october 17th i waited until all the weddings were done that year my last wedding was october 15th because on october 17th they were going to start installing scaffolding so I tried to plan it out that way. We could have started it earlier if I, if I was, but I didn't, I didn't want any upset brides. So, uh, so, um, so October 17th, so officially we started, we did a couple things before that we did what's called a mock-up. We did, uh, we did the vestibule, um, which were easy things. Um, but then October 17th, they started installing the scaffolding, um, they kind of wanted to have the very front part of the apps done by um, Christmas, but they weren't able to do that. I didn't think they were going to be able to do that either because it's that there was just there's a lot to do up there. But so the the plan ultimately is basically two major phases of the project. This we're in the first phase, which their goal is to have this part done by Easter. So that's basically the front part of the church. So that's the 1850s part of the church. They, they're doing pretty well. Um, I have my doubts that it'll be totally done by Easter, but they still, they still have the goal. And, and they, what they keep doing is they keep sending more and more workers here to, to, to get, keep it going. 
Uh, I don't want them to rush it though. I want them to, and they're they're not rushing it. So, so yeah, by Easter, the scaffolding that's in the front part of the church uh, should be done, and then the rest of the church that's not doesn't have scaffolding will have scaffolding from after Easter until August fifteenth, probably. Um, that's the seventeen eighty seven part of the church. So the the second phase is really the older part. And that will be including the choir loft, uh, most of the seating area, most of the pews. So we'll see what that uh, looks like. I wanted to talk about, so the the one Franz Stecker mural that's on the wall, it's on the south transept, is the crucifixion scene. And I've posted this on Facebook, and they they just restored it the way it was. So originally it had a, it was a crucifixion. You have uh, Mary Magdalene. I think the the Blessed Mother and then it looks like St. John there at the cross. In the 60s, they had they had kind of just painted over the border around the painting, which also included a little a little scene of Jerusalem buildings in the background with a rock there and the sky scene. They had kind of painted over all of that in the 60s, made it more simple. They just restored it and it's stunning. It's just stunning. Uh, that's I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> the The older what we're finding, the general trend we're finding is the older art that's underneath what they call the overpaint when they painted over it in the in the sixties and eighties. The older art is much brighter um, and more vivid and more three D than what they did in the sixties and the eighties. They they kind of flattened a lot of it. There was a lot more gray that was put into it. Um, the older one had a lot more gold colored, um, bright. It had a brightness to it. The The differences are, I mean, this church has always been beautiful. It's always been beautiful. But um, what what we're going to see when it's done, I, and people can't imagine that, they, I, people can't imagine that it can be even more beautiful <laughs> than it is now. I mean, it's, it's going to be stunning. Um, yeah. So the the crucifixion scene, they've they're they've basically finished the fine art part of it. Now they they have to do the incidentals, which is like the border around it and the rest of the walls. That but the fine art is done. The guy that they have doing that is from um I think he lives in the Scranton area, but he's been doing this kind of work for 40 years. He got that crucifixion scene done in two days. I don't know how he did it. Um, but he's that's that's how skilled he is. And you know, it looks brand new. It looks, I mean, it is stunning. We've unfortunately run out of time, but if you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, you can listen to us anytime on Spotify under Candid Catholic Convos, or you can download this episode from our website at hbgdiocese.org. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.